Hey Grace family, we are excited to be together on week three of our series, Hope and a Future, uh, where we're talking about what is needed right now more than anything is vision and clarity. Uh, And as we look at our world right now, there is zero question that what we need is an image of what we're called to do from the Father. We need a picture of calling, and we need a picture of clarity, and we need vision around who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And so today we want to focus in on one really simple question, and it's a question that I think we could spend months on this individual question, but the question is, what's the one thing that you were created to do? What's the one thing that you know out of everything that you possibly could do in the world? What's the one thing that God placed you here on the earth to do? Parker Palmer in his book, Let Your Life Speak, makes the statement as he recounts evaluating his life. He says, I realized at a point in my life that I was actually doing an incredible job of living someone else's life. Now, sometimes that's what it feels like. We're busy, we're running about, we're doing all kinds of different things. It's not that we're not working, it's not that we're not striving, it's not that we're not doing work, it's just we're not doing the work that fulfills us. We're not doing the work that we were called to. We're not doing the one thing that actually makes us come to life. One of the reasons we're so busy and we're rushing about is because we're actually running from ourselves. We're actually hiding from the thing that God made us to do, and so we numb ourselves, we become so busy, we fill our lives with all kinds of things, and eventually we reach a point where we say, what am I doing, and why am I doing all of this? Howard Hendricks, uh, a, a brilliant teacher on leadership and structure and the way the Christian world kind of works, uh, was a professor, and what he would do every year is he would gather his class together in the classroom, and he would draw a funnel on the board, right, a big funnel coming down like this, and at the top of the funnel, he would start putting X's, and he would start naming, these are things that you could do when you graduate, and he filled up a whole list, he filled the entire funnel with, with ideas and thoughts of things that everybody could do when they graduate from college. You could go get this job, you could go work in this sector, you could go do this thing. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of ideas of what you could do. And then he would go down to the very bottom of the funnel and he would say, but what I want you to think about is what is the one thing that you were made to do? There's, there's so many options of what we could do with our life. The question we want to zero in on today and in this series is what's the one thing that God has called you to do? What's the one thing that when you do it, you come to life? What's the one thing that when you're a part of it, that when you step into that space, you actually feel yourself doing something that feels like it matters? It feels like it's significant. It feels like you've walked into a holy space just by doing the thing that you were created to do. Uh, I, I love books, and I'm a little bit of a nerd with books. I love books recently about the second half of your life. Um, I think that's because I'm entering into the second half of my life. I'm, I'm getting older. Uh, I'm getting a little chubbier. I'm getting a lot more gray hair. Uh, and I'm entering into this stage of life where I'm starting to think about what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Uh, my son turned 18 this year. I can't believe that he's 18. He doesn't act 18, but he is 18. And, and I start to think, like, it's not going to be that long, and my kids are going to be out of the house. And what do I do then? 
Because so much of my life has been about parenting my kids and driving them to practices and doing all of these things. As soon as I get those turds out of the house, I'm going to have so much free time. I'm just kidding. I love my kids. Uh, but as soon as I get them out of the house, I'm going to have all of this free time and all of this space. And the question that I'm starting to ask myself is, what am I going to do with that? Like, what am I really called to do? And so I, I love books like Falling Upward and The Second Mountain and, and these kinds of books. And, and, and one of the things that they talk about is, is that the first half of your life is typically built on ego. The first half of your life is typically built on trying to build something or create something or make your mark and this kind of striving to do something significant. And then what happens in everybody's life is between the first mountain and the second mountain, you hit a desert or you hit a valley or you hit a season where you realize, wait a minute, the thing that I've been chasing and the thing that I've been pursuing and the thing that I've been going after and the thing that I actually thought was going to give me life doesn't really give me life and I need to reconfigure. And they talk about how the second mountain becomes a mountain that's not built on ego but is built on wholeness and health and if the first mountain is about me, the second mountain is about the common good. The second mountain is about building something that actually does good in the world. It's about doing things that actually make you come to life. And for my story and for my life, I, I spent the whole first half of my life trying to make my mark. My ego was driving me. I was striving with selfish ambition to create something, to do something. I felt this angst and this pressure to do something big for God. And I hit a valley and I hit a desert and I'm trying to rebuild a life now that says, what if I built my life around wholeness and health? What if it's not so much about striving, but it's about just being? What if it's not so much about action, but it's about resting and wholeness and being where God has called me to be? Uh, I think all of us learn that the first mountain isn't all it was caught up, caught up to be. And so we want to spend some time today talking about clarity and vision around what is that thing that you want to do. Uh, we call it around here, we call it the idea of awakening the kingdom dream. Uh, we, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that every single follower of Jesus has a kingdom dream that is rooted in their heart. There is a dream that God has placed inside of you for what you could do for the kingdom, of how you could change your neighborhood, how you could change the nations, how you could change the next generation, how you could change the world around you. And inside of us, there exists this dream. And the question is, do we have the patience? Do we have the ability? Do we have the energy to climb that second mountain to get to a place where we actually pay attention to what's going on in our hearts and so the question that I want to wrestle with today is, what's that one thing that you were made to do? What's that thing that burns inside of you? What's that thing that, that stirs your emotion and stirs your heart? What's that thing that you always say, I wish I could, or I wish I would have, or maybe if I could go back and relive my life, I would do this? As we've been looking at the story of Jeremiah, we've seen Jeremiah come to life with this idea that he had a unique design, that he was created to speak for God's people, that there was a vision inside of him that said, you are more unique than you thought, and you have a purpose, and you have a role. And then last week, Chris talked about the idea that, that there is a breakdown that gets us to the breakthrough, that there's a pathway that helps us get there. And, and, and in Jeremiah 20, where we land today, if you've got your Bibles, you 
can open them there. We catch Jeremiah in this moment where calling and conviction meet crisis. Where, where, and, and, and all of us meet that point. We, we reach that point where we're striving to do the thing that we've been called to do, and we start to question our calling. We start to question our convictions. We start to wonder, is this really the thing that God called me to do? Did I hear him wrong? Was I wrong when I thought this was what I was asked to do? And, and typically that happens when things get difficult. Uh, we're, we're a little bit of a pain-averse culture. We don't love pain. And so anytime the pain comes, anytime things get hard, anytime things get difficult, we want to run away. And so we get this picture of Jeremiah meeting this crisis moment in Jeremiah 20. And it's, it's, it's intense. It, it kind of gives us this inner dialogue between Jeremiah and God that's very real and very raw, and, and, and it's, the, it's the conversations that all of us have with God in these days. He's, he, he's, he's, he's literally in the stocks right now. He's literally at the city gates proclaiming the message where he's been arrested, he's been threatened, because his message threatened the status quo. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, there are going to be times in our life where we have to speak out something that is not a popular thing to speak out, where we have to stand on the side of justice, where we have to stand on the side of truth, where we have to stand on the side of the kingdoms of heaven and not the kingdoms of this earth, and the kingdoms of this earth will fight against us when we stand on that side. And Jeremiah is experiencing this tension. He's experiencing this battle. He's experiencing this moment where he's spoken the truth, but there are people that don't want to hear the truth. He's calling for reform. He's inviting Israel to return to who they were called to be. He's critiquing the empire. He's inviting them into something bigger. And the people of God are rejecting him. And not just rejecting him, they're resisting him. And they're fighting against him. And all of it is taking its toll. And Jeremiah is ready to give up. He's angry with God. He's frustrated. He's experiencing a crisis of identity around all of those things. And if I was giving this message to a room full of pastors right now in our culture, every single one of them would be nodding their heads and saying, I get it. All of them would be nodding their heads and saying, I understand. Because right now what I'm seeing is courageous leaders who are standing up and are preaching the truth and are standing for justice and are standing for the right things and I'm seeing people who are battling and fighting. The systemic injustice of the world will always fight back about anything that changes the status quo. And so as the people of God stand up, the pastors begin to hear questions like, Pastor, why can't we just preach the gospel? Why do we have to be about social justice? Why do we have to do this? Or why don't we do this? Why do we have to be so political? Why aren't we political enough? Why are you so conservative? Why are you so liberal? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why aren't we meeting? Why are we meeting? It's this season where everybody is exhausted and tired and frustrated. And I think there's some pastors who feel a lot like Jeremiah right now. I feel like I'm doing what God has invited me to. My calling and my conviction leads me to speak the truth but it feels like my church has just put me in the stocks out in front of the town. Now, I, I, I've been there. I've felt that way. I, I, I've said many times, I, I think ministry would be so much easier if there weren't people involved in it. It's frustrating at times, and it's exhausting at times. But for me, I start to think of what else would I do? 
And I don't have an imagination for that. I, I mean, I like basketball. I could coach basketball. I was a basketball coach back in the day. But I'm guessing if I'm coaching basketball, I'm going to start volunteering at a church and I'm going to get involved and I'm going to start leading and I'm going to start preaching and I'm going to start teaching and I'm going to start doing the same things I'm doing right now but just not getting paid for it. So I might as well just get paid for it. Like There's this moment where we, we, we start to question our calling because it gets difficult. And, and I want to start with the point that calling is what you can't help but do. Like I, I don't have an imagination for what else I could do with my life other than pastoring. And Jeremiah is having this internal struggle with the Lord. Let's, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. It says, you've deceived me, Lord. I was deceived. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought insult and reproach all the day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, and it's a fire that is shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and indeed I cannot. I love this tension. There's this tension of when I don't speak, I, I, when I do speak, I get, I get people angry with me, I get frustration, and, and when we're not getting the results that I want, and, I, and, and everybody's worked up, and I feel this tension, but when I don't speak, there's a fire in me, there's a calling in me, there's a conviction in me, there's a desire in me, and it has to come out. That's what calling does, is calling is this fire inside of us, it's this vision inside of us, it's this thing that I have no other imagination for what else I could do, because I cannot do anything, I'm weary of holding it in. Some of you, you have a kingdom dream on your life right now, there is a calling on your life to do something, and you're out here doing something else, and you wonder why you're weary of holding it in. You're weary of holding the calling that God has for you. You're tired of going to the same job every day and doing the same thing over and over again when there is a bigger calling on your life, when there is a kingdom dream and a kingdom vision. You're exhausted from climbing the first mountain when all along God is calling you to the second mountain. Verse 10, it says, I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All of my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived, and then we will prevail over him and take revenge on him. I love Jeremiah's just honesty in here. The Old Testament is so unfiltered. Uh, we were reading in the Psalms this week during our daily prayers, and one of the Psalms says, Lord, would you just punch them in the teeth? That's literally like the, one of the translations. Would you just punch them in the teeth? I love the unfilteredness of, of, of the Psalms and of the Old Testament. It's honest and real because Jeremiah understands that God meets us in reality. That he doesn't meet us where he wants us to be or where we want ourselves to be. He meets us in the valleys. There's no hiding from him. There's no hiding our desires. There's no hiding our wants. There's no hiding our hurts. There's no hiding our wounds. And so we don't have to hide in front of a good God. We can come and we can lay ourselves bare before him. We can, we can reveal all that's inside of us and have an unfiltered discussion. And so this is what God, Jeremiah is doing. I love it that he starts with, God, God, why have you deceived me? We've all had these stories recently. How long, O oh Lord? How long are we going to see injustice? How long are we going to see systemic brokenness? How long are our institutions going to continue to fight against us? How long, how long, how long this fatigue, this tiredness? And I want to just make something really clear. There is a fire in our bones that longs to come out. 
And some days the only thing worse than living our calling is not living our calling. There's this challenging thing, but just because you're called to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Young people, I want to clearly help you to understand that if you step into what God has called you to be, to do, and to be, it does not mean it's going to be easy. He'll be with you, but it'll be difficult. And I actually believe that sometimes when we step into the things that God has called us to, it's actually more difficult. It's actually more challenging. Scripture says, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And, and, and uh, what happens over and over again is, is young people get so passionate and get so excited and, and they're so ready to fight, but then when the battle actually begins, they take that first punch and they run away. Uh, I, I pastored a college church for many years in Louisville, Kentucky, and I loved doing it. It was one of my favorite ministries that I was a part of, but the same thing would happen nearly every week as we would gather uh, I would stand up and preach, we'd do worship together, we'd do our gathering, and then a young man or young woman who was there for their first time would come up and they would be like, Pastor, I'm in. Like, tell me what I need to do. I'm ready. You want me to preach next week? I will preach next week. You want me to, to lead worship next week? I will lead worship next week. You want me, whatever you want me to do, I'm in and I'm ready for this. And I would always do the same thing. Anytime I had these young people who came up to me with this passion and this excitement and this energy, I would always say, all right. Let's meet for breakfast on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And they would be like, yeah, okay, I'll put it in my phone. And, and, and about 10% of those young people showed up on Tuesday at 6 a.m. to a meeting and to a lunch. Now, I've, I preached this illustration at our Midtown campus, and some young people in the, in the, in the congregation saw it as a challenge. And so I, had, I, I literally got 10 messages from young people who were like, I'll meet you for breakfast at 6 a.m. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Like, I, I, I trust you. I believe that some of you can wake up early. What I'm suggesting is that we have this energy and this passion to do something. And sometimes when things get tough or difficult things are asked of us, we don't want to do it. We have this entitlement sometimes. And I want you to know that there is something worse than suffering in life. And that's not having anything worth suffering for. We need to recognize that there are things in our life worth suffering for. That there are callings, that there are convictions that are worth taking the heat for. There are things that are worth people being frustrated with us about. There are things that are worth us losing friends over. There are things that are worth us pushing through and battling through and awakening to. And, and all of those things are challenging, but it's better than having nothing worth fighting for in our life. When we embrace our purpose, there will be challenges. Um, speaking of my age and second half of my life, I, I don't know what happened, but last night I, my back just started hurting terribly. It was about seven o'clock at night, and my lower back just got in major pain. I, 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 I went to the medicine cabinet, and I just started, I just, I took some uh, Advil or whatever the painkiller kind of thing is, and I, I, I read the, the title on the painkiller, and it said fast acting, which is like, that's the number one thing I want right now. I just want, I want the pain to go away immediately because I want to go to sleep. And so I took the fast-acting painkiller, hoping that it would numb the pain so that I could go to sleep. And I woke up this morning in more pain, and I woke up this morning thinking about that illustration of last night. All I wanted to do was numb the pain so that I could go to sleep. And I just wonder if that's a definition of our culture these days. 
I wonder if all we're trying to do sometimes is numb the pain so that we can sleep. When the spirit of the living God is trying to breathe on us and say, wake up. Ephesians chapter 4 says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the love of Christ will shine upon you. Wake up. My friend Dave Rhodes says this. He says, it's no coincidence that a culture that is so addicted to numbing its pain also numbs its passion and its purpose. Because passion is a conviction that becomes contagious because it can, withstand the, the, it can withstand the test of our pain. And in our pain, our passions are formed. In our pain, our abilities are grown. In our pain, our ideal context is revealed. Pain is not the opposite of calling. Pain is the incubator in which our calling grows. Woo! That guy can preach. That's good. Let's go to number two. Number two, the second thing that I want to talk about today is that our convictions are what we cannot do without. They're what we can't do without. Let's go to Jeremiah 10, verse 11. It says, but. So he names all of these things he's frustrated about. He names all of these things he's irritated with the Lord about. He's got this fire inside of him. He can't help but speak. But when he speaks, everybody rejects him and pain starts to happen. And he says, but the Lord is with me. He's like a mighty warrior so that my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examines the righteous and probes the heart of mine, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. I I, want to land on that last portion of this. To you I have committed my cause. That's the difference between something that just stirs in us a little bit and a conviction. A conviction is a commitment to a cause. And a holy conviction is a commitment to a cause that is rooted in the belief that God is at work, that God is present, that God is moving. It's a commitment to a cause that is not only my cause, that is not only our cause, it is the cause of the God of heaven. Our convictions say we are committed to your cause. Jeremiah's pain isn't limited to physical pain. It's, it's with his circumstances. He, his, not only does his body hurt, his soul hurts because of the rejection. His soul hurts because of the pain. He grieves over the status of the world. He grieves over the injustice. He grieves over what Israel could be. This is what prophetic pastors do. They see the world as it could be and they grieve over it. I can see how beautiful the church could be and I grieve over the fact that we're not yet there. I could see how the capital C church in America could be so beautiful but we're not yet there and I grieve over where we are but I have hope of where we could be. I have these deep convictions inside my soul that that we can change lives, that we can be a place where diversity lives and flourishes. I believe that the church on Sunday doesn't have to be the most segregated hour of the week. I believe that the church could look like the kingdom of heaven. I believe that the church could be something more beautiful beautiful than what he is. And if I'm going to spend my life doing something, I'm going to spend my life fighting for the conviction of what I believe the church could be. I believe it could be beautiful. And ultimately, Jeremiah had this challenge. He had nobody who would validate his convictions. There were no people around him that were patting him on the back and saying, Jeremiah, right on, buddy. Keep telling us how awful we are. Right on, Jeremiah, keep telling us how messed up everything is. 
Everybody was like, Jeremiah, could you stop posting on Facebook? Jeremiah, could we talk about something else? Jeremiah, could you stop being so one-track mind in this and could we do something different? And so the only person, the only one who would validate his core convictions is the only one who mattered, and that's the Father in heaven. If our identity is rooted in him, then we don't need to worry about compromising our convictions if our convictions come from him. He trusted in God to confirm them. He trusted in his core convictions of who Israel could be. Dave Rhodes says this, he says, if calling is about what you can't help but do, then your convictions are the things you can't do without. Calling answers the what questions of our life. What am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Our convictions, also called our values, answer the why. Why are we called to do this? Why am I stepping into this? Your calling and convictions name the essence of your unique identity. And without these things, our life is numb. We exist, but we don't truly live. And the fire that is shut up in our bones ultimately consumes us because we live lesser lives than what we're called to, be, to live. We're actually becoming lesser versions of ourselves. I love Frederick Buechner. He wrote a book called Listen to Your Life. Uh, at Gravity Leadership, one of the principles that we talk about is this idea that the curriculum for discipleship is actually your life. That the greatest way we actually learn is by paying attention to our lives. We pay attention to our motives and our motivations. We pay attention to our wants and our desires. We pay attention to our wounds and our frustrations. We pay attention to our brokenness and to our pain. We pay attention to our triggers. We pay attention to our life. We listen to our life because it's inside our life we recognize what stirs us. We recognize what captures our emotions. We listen to our life because what the world needs most is for us to be fully alive. Buechner said, where our passion and the world's needs meet, that's the place that God's called us to. The place where our passion and the hurt of the world connect, that's our calling. That's the place that God has called us to. And so inside my heart, I have these deep convictions about all kinds of different things, about adoption, about fatherless kids, about at-risk kids. I have deep convictions about race in America. I have deep convictions about what the church could be and how beautiful the church could be. We call these things kingdom dreams. And the question is, does the fire burn in us enough to walk through the pain to make it to the second mountain? Because in between the first mountain and the second mountain is the valley. In between the first mountain and the second mountain is the desert. In between the first mountain and the second mountain is pain and woundedness and brokenness and naming some things inside ourselves and inside our world that aren't right. And it's not always fun and it's not always easy, but it's in that place that we discover our purpose and our calling. David Brooks calls it a telos crisis. He says this, one of the things we've lost in our country is our story. We've lost a narrative that unites us around a common multi-generational project that gives us an overarching sense of meaning and purpose to our history. For most of the past 400 years, America did have an overarching story. It was the Exodus story. The Puritans came to this continent and felt like they were escaping the bondage of Egypt and building a new Jerusalem. 
But we have a lot of crisis in our country, but maybe the foundation, foundational one is the telos crisis. It's a crisis of purpose. For many people don't know what this country is here for and why we're here. And if you don't know what your goal is, then every setback sends you into cynicism and selfishness. And it, it, it should be possible to receive the Exodus template, to see America as a single people trekking through the landscape of broken institution. But what's needed is an act of imagination. Somebody who can tell us what the goal is. Someone who can offer an ideal vision of what this country and what this world could be. And can I suggest to you can I suggest to all of us today that the one who gives us that act of imagination, the one who gives us the vision of our calling and conviction, the one who teaches us how to speak out against broken institutions and systemic injustice, the one who shows us what our country should be, what our churches should be, what the world could be, is our Father who's in heaven, and he's already given us a vision for that. It's inside our hearts. The spirit that lives within us calls it out of us every day. It's the fire that is inside of us that wants to come out. It is the beauty of the word of God. It's the holiness and righteousness that he's placed inside of us that is dying to come out. But the greatest crisis we face is a crisis of telos. It's a crisis of purpose. It's a crisis of imagination. Brooks says this. He says there's two types of telos crises that we experience. The first is a walking crisis. It's that idea that you know you're not living into your kingdom dream. You know you're not living into your calling, but you keep showing up and settling for a second-class life. You keep coming in and clocking out, but you have no imagination of how to do anything else, and you're not willing to go through the pain of actually waiting and experiencing, and you're not willing to listen to your life to discover what's next, so you just keep showing up. I heard a story recently of a friend who went to a large company to interview, and he interviewed with the HR director from this company. And he just felt like the HR director was exhausted. During the whole interview, she was asking questions, but it was kind of just reading off a piece of paper, and she just wasn't super engaged the whole time. And he said, at the end of it, he said, I just felt like I needed to do something. Like, I felt like I needed to encourage her. And he just said, hey, how are you doing? And he asked her one really simple question. He said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And he said, this HR director just burst into tears. And she said, not this. I wouldn't do what I'm doing today. I wouldn't do what I'm doing for the rest of my life. This way, she was in the middle of a walking telos, a walking crisis, a walking through a lack of purpose. And she was numb and just walking through it. And he said, I just turned into the interviewer there and I just started asking her questions. The second crisis is a sleeping crisis. If in a walking crisis, we show up every day but don't have the courage to do anything else, in a sleeping crisis, we just numb ourselves every night so that we don't have to think about it. We know that we're not living the life that we called, we're called to live. We know that we're not living into our kingdom dream. We know we're not living into the vision that God has for us. But every day, we take our pain pills and watch Netflix and numb ourselves to the world. We're paralyzed by self-focus. We're exhausted by others' expectation. And I just want to simply encourage us over the coming weeks to listen to your life. You don't find your calling through an act of will. This is really important. You don't find your calling through striving or pushing or fighting. You find your calling by quieting yourself and listening. We believe without a shadow of a doubt that all wisdom comes from the Father. 
And we believe that God is always present and at work. We believe that he's always speaking. We believe that the challenge is we're not present to him enough. And we don't hear him well enough. So we want the mind of heaven to operate in us. We want the wisdom of heaven to be within us. We want the words of God, the posture of God, the heart of God, the, the, the wisdom of God to run through us so that we can live into the kingdom dream that God has called us to. And I believe that each of us has, has a job to do. I believe that every single person that can hear my voice right now has a calling that has been placed on your life by God. And when you live into that, that fire that is inside of you will come out in a beautiful way. And what the world needs most is you fully alive. So over the coming weeks, we're going to dive into this. We're going to talk about new kingdom dreams. We're going to talk about awakening those dreams to something beautiful and something new. And we're going to talk about the divine design that has been placed inside of you. And I can't wait to journey through this with you guys. We want to process this stuff with you. And so there's going to be some questions that are going to pop up on the screen right now. They're going to help you, whether in your, you're in your watch party or whether you're home alone watching this on your own, to just process some of these questions and begin to ask yourself the question, what's stirring in my heart? What's the dream that God's placed inside of me? And am I living into it?